Okay. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. This is our very first one. I'm really, really super excited. Um, I had all sorts of other co-hosts lined up and they all, for one reason or another, bowed out. Um, so I'm your current host, Victoria Laurie, current and future and always host, Victoria Laurie, uh, New York Times bestselling author and uh, intuitive, professional intuitive psychic of, God, 20, 21 years now, um, here with the greatest co-host I could have right now, um, my sister. Um, I've literally known her all my life, people, uh, <laughs> Sandy. Uh, and she's, you know, Hello. God, she's saving me again. Um, you know, I wave the, wave the white flag. Somebody help me. And Sandy always steps in. She's always got my back. Um, like so outfire. help is on the way, dear. Help is on the way, dear. Exactly. Uh, um, so, uh, I came up with this idea for this podcast. Actually, um, it's, it's kind of related to the 16th book in my Abby Cooper Psychic Eye Mysteries series. And if you're not familiar with the series, available everywhere books are sold. Um, the Psychic Eye Mysteries uh, was an idea I had 20, shit, back in 2003. And um, uh, I was doing readings at that time. And I thought, you know, um, I would love to write a book. And I remember calling you on the phone and being like, I'm gonna write a book. And you were like, aren't you adorable? You're just so cute. You go do that. I have two twin two-year-olds and I got to get to that. Oh, I remember that conversation. And I was like, I, I hung up and I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> oh no, you were like, I got to get off the phone because Matt and Mike, Sandy has now two 21-year-old twins. Uh, and at the time they were divide and conquer. Um, so they were like still little teaming babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they still are. I'm not, I'm not, you know, <laughs> let go of that habit. <laughs> so um yeah so uh I thought how cool would it be to write a book uh a mystery and I'm like gosh what what should my protagonist do hmm, hmm I mm, I hmm, hmm. and then you know it took me a couple I'm slow on the uptake that way and uh it took me a couple of days and I'm like oh my god what if she was a psychic and she helped us solve crimes and um so I started writing uh, that series. And if you're not familiar, the series is um, like, I'm super proud of it just because obviously there's 60 books in it now. So it's been around for a little while. Um, it's done very, very well by me. Um, and um, the fans love it. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And Abby's, you know, kind of modeled after me, not that I'm necessarily knocking on the door of the FBI and being like, I am here to save the day. Um, but uh, uh, it's about a psychic, Abby Cooper, uh, uh, who's around 30 when the series starts. And I finally have aged her up to like, I think she's like 40 now. Ugh, she's so old. Um, yeah, and she's now um, with an FBI agent, um, Dutch Rivers, and they are crime solving. And in the most recent book that I, I wrote, and I have to, I, I know guys, you're waiting for the 17th book in the series. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's next on the uh, on the agenda. I, I pinky swear, I pinky swear. Um, uh, so in the 16th book, Faded for a Felony, Abby um, ends up on a podcast with a big time skeptic, Mike Toscano, um, who's the podcast um, host of the Toscano Files. And I love this story. I loved writing the book and I love this story. And it's actually, it's, it's really interesting to me that this has been the one that the fans have like, they've been all over. Um, and I think honestly, that is due to the fact that I took great pains 
throughout the um, investigation for Abby to detail specifically what was going on in her mind. So the way my particular intuition works is mostly through pictures and images and everything's a metaphor. Everything's a freaking metaphor. Um, and so in laying out the clues, the various clues that Abby comes across in order to solve this crime, um, I had to translate the picture, the image into English. And you would think that's super easy. And it, and it honestly, it's a skill all its own. Um, think about your dreams, right? You wake up and you're like, I don't know what this means. Um, so like, I always remember the dream that you told me, Sans, years and years and years ago where your house was on fire and you couldn't find the boys. And um, you were panicked because you kept having that dream um, re repeated, it kept coming up. And um, I was like, and you finally told me about it. You were like, do you think my house is gonna catch on fire? And I'm like, no, but you are worried that you're gonna lose your job, AKA you're going to be fired. And you are about to be a single mom. Um, and how are you gonna provide for your kids? That's what the dream is about. So like, <clears throat> Um, sometimes you have to step outside of like these scary images, these scary kind of fear-based images in your dreams and go, okay, what does this like literally, it's like um, hieroglyphics, what does this literally translate to? <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, so uh, Fated for Felony um, is available on Amazon um, and the rest of the series is available everywhere books are sold. Book 17 will be out sometime soon. As soon as I read it, it'll be out. Um, and, um, yeah, so this podcast is going to be devoted to looking at, um, historical, mostly historical, uh, historical mysteries unsolved, um, Sandy or my co-host, whoever I recruit, um, AKA tied to a chair, uh, kidnap and tie to a chair and don't feed or give water to provide anything until they read a case study for me that I can then intuit on. Um, and then I'm going to give my impressions of um, like either how it unfolded, who did it, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so a uh, couple of things. Um, if you are looking for me in particular and more information about the books or about this podcast, I have two um, I have two websites for you. Uh, it's victorialaurie.com, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-L-A-U-R-I-E.com or PEM, P-E-M, podcast.com. P-E-M stands for Psychic Eye Mysteries. So Psychic Eye Mysteries, podcast.com. Those two will have access to the links for this podcast um, and also the books and someday soon maybe some swag or whatever I decide to throw up on there. Um, learn as you go, people learn as you go. Um, so I want to segue into um, a really interesting reading that I had uh, recently that I don't think I've told you about um, that I'm super like, I, so here's the deal. <clears throat> I've been doing straight up, here is your future the next six months, next 12 months um, for years and years and years and years. And I haven't really done any mediumship stuff because I didn't think I was very good at it. Um, I know some of the best mediums in the world, literally in the world. Rebecca Rosen was a dear friend of mine. Um, uh, Carissa Eve, who's another extraordinary medium, very, very dear friend of mine. I will rope her in to do one of these um, co-hosty uh, podcasts. I'm gonna wrangle her. I am gonna, cause I know we're gonna have great conversations. <clears throat> but um, so, you know, when you know the best, <laughs> 
it's kind of like, well, okay, I'm sort of learning. I like this is brand new to me. Um, so, you know, you don't necessarily feel that even if you get a little bit of a hit from someone on the other side, that it's like worthy, right? Worthy of charging people money for. Well, a couple of months ago, gosh, almost a year ago, I think, I started teaching um, uh, Intuition 101 to uh, some, of, some of my, my fans um, who signed up for classes. Um, and I did that for, oh, shit, like, I don't know, eight months straight, you know, a class a month. And now I'm, I'm burnt out. So if you're looking to take my course, you can't. Um, I just, I need a break. You missed it. I, I know, yeah. I know, yeah. Oops, it sucks to be you. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I love, love, love my students. My students are amazing and fabulous and incredible. Um, you can find, actually, you can find a group of them um, on Facebook, Victoria's Vixens. Um, so if you want to kind of look at the chatter that's going on, you can do that. I don't know if they'll let you join because I think that they're like, well, you have to have graduated from my classes. And since I'm not offering them right now, you lose, but you can still look at their chatter. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I hope they're not upset that hold I'm on, like, yeah, everybody go look. <laughs> hold on a second. I took your classes. I'm not in the oh, Victoria's yeah, no, Vic You were so good. You were so good. This one. Well, that's not why I'm saying this. Swear she doesn't have an intuitive bone in her body, right? We get to the, okay, so where do you think this person is traveling to? And she's like, a farm located here. And this will be, and you know, like jaws drop, right? Including hers, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Anyway, I'm not part of Victoria's Vixens, which is like, what happened? I like <laughs> excluded again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so I was teaching this class um, and one of the techniques that I taught was um, a technique that, Re that Rebecca Rosen taught me, which was automatic writing. Um, and it's a way to kind of tap into um, energies on the other side. So I, in teaching this class, of course, I have to kind of practice it to show people like, okay, this is what happens. And um, a door opened, like a door opened. And then my sister um, is a widow um, and my brother-in-law, I know, I know we miss him so much. Steve was like the greatest, he really was. He was the, he was the greatest guy. He still communicates with me kind of constantly, um, you know, tell my love. And I'm like, dude, I'm in the shower. Boundaries, <laughs> do boundaries. You know, and he's like, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, but tell her. And I'm like, oh, um, anyway, so uh, Steve kind of came in through the door and was communicating all of this stuff that we were able to kind of verify, which was really exciting for me because, you know, you kind of don't know if it's sort of your own imagination until it gets confirmed or verified. So little by little, I've sort of been opening myself up um, in readings <clears throat> um, to allow you know, deceased relatives to kind of come in. And I've had some, you know, what's really funny is because this is so new to me and I don't really expect to be right when I'm like, you know, um, who's Paula? You know, like, who's Paula? And they go, my mom. And I'm like, no way, really? You know, like, I'm like, no way. Um, <laughs> and my clients are like, wait, you're you're supposed to know what you're doing, right? I'm, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I expect, I mm -hmm, I knew that. I'm just um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do this all the time. Um, so, uh, so I had a reading not too long ago with a woman and um, pulled her mom in, um, verified right away that it was her mom. I don't remember if I got her name or not. I don't think I did. Um, but like there were other details that really lined up. And right away she said cancer. And that was right on the money. And I said, 
um, in my mind's eye, I kept seeing this woman tapping her head. And I said, oh, did she have a brain tumor? And my client said, no, no, it was uh, pancreatic cancer. And I, like, it's, it's so weird when you're being shown one thing and your client is confirming another, right? And I'm like, okay, did she have a stroke? Because this woman's continuing to tap on her head, right? <clears throat> and I'm like, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, lady, I don't know what that means, right? It's not like you can carry on a dialogue with them, right? Especially for me, because that's not a my clear audience sense. The clear hearing is not my strong sense. So she's tapping on her head, she's tapping on her head, and then she gave me this impression of the month of of April, and um, I said, okay, um, what's the April connection with your mom? And clients you know hands up in the air or something like birthday anniversary death day nothing nothing no one in the family had anything to do with april it was like the one month where nothing was going on and i'm like okay i know i'm not wrong because this woman keeps pointing me to april and she keeps tapping her head right so we go on we go on we go on and um i'm you know intuiting this woman's future <clears throat> and mom is still kind of hanging out you know and every once in a while she's april right i'm like lady you're killing me. I don't know what that means. This woman is not buying, you know, what I'm laying down about that. And finally, finally, at the end, um, my client says to me, well, she goes, the only thing I think it could be was that in, in April, she told us she knew she had cancer it was right after she was diagnosed. And she said, oh, yeah, I I, yeah, I, I knew, I knew. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, like, it's stuff like that, that could be both amazing and super frustrating because you know you're not wrong they're not backing off um and they're not giving you any other clues kind of like um i've given you enough go ahead and figure it out and i like to know right away that i'm right i like to you know i don't want to wait um you know i mean you and i patience, patience is not our is yeah it yeah. doesn't run there's no gene for that in our family at all at all none <clears throat> really <laughs> like just get started in one nanosecond. We have to wait that long. Um, so yeah. Uh, so it already happened. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take you home. You should have turned left back there. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, and then the other really interesting one that I had was um, a couple weeks ago. I was reading for a woman, first up client that was first up, and sometimes you know. I have clients of all kinds and you pay for a reading, you can be whoever you are or, or however you want to be. I'm not going to, um, you know, quibble about your personality or how you engage with me, right? I will say this for people that are stoic and flat and, you know, cross their arms and don't want to confirm anything. Those are honestly a pain in the fucking ass for me, right? Obviously, because A, my personality is I'm right, right? You like it, right? I'm on the right track, right? <clears throat> so I get no validation. Okay, you paid for it. You can be however you want to be, but it's but not. It's not going to make my job any easier. Um, and and just so you know, right? This whole Zoom thing for me is super new. I did phone readings for 20 years before I ever hopped on the Zoom. And you know, I've got clients all over the world and a huge following, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like, I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. It's not like I'm reading facial stuff, right? Or physical stuff. And typically when I do a reading, Sandy, you know this, I'm looking over here, right? Because I don't want to be distracted. Oh, for anybody who's just listening to this and they can't see me, um, I just looked off to my right. 
Um, which is, you know, it's weird because it's kind of a common thing that um, psychics and mediums do. Have you noticed that? Like we all kind of look like over, it's almost like, I don't know why. I don't know why we do that. Um, but it's it just, I don't know if it's not to be distracted or if it's just easier to hear or to see or what that is about, but <clears throat> I've done it forever. Anyway, so this woman is giving me nothing, right? At the end, um, she kind of asks a few questions that were clarifying questions about stuff that I had already told her. So I knew I was on the right, on the right track, right? Um, and one of the things that kept coming up, actually, even before I started intuiting her <clears throat> future, this man from the other side comes kind of barreling into my energy. And so you guys know what that is like. There's a sense of like the idea of a man, okay? Not necessarily a picture or image of him, but the idea of a man coming in almost crashing into your energy. So it would kind of be like if you were blind or had your eyes closed, the sense that someone was suddenly in your presence, right? And very close. And there was also associated with him this sense of urgency. And he kept saying the name Robert. And like, not just Robert, he was like, Robert, 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 Robert. <clears throat> so I, I'm like, wow, dude, well, let me introduce myself to my client first before, you know, we get to Robert, whatever that, whatever the fuck that is about. Um, and um, so I, I'm having a really even hard time telling her how this session is supposed to unfold, like how, what, how I'm going to work, how it's going to be laid out, you know, I do my thing, and then I um, turn it over to you for questions. And <clears throat> meanwhile, this guy's just yelling Robert at me. So finally, I said, before I even begin, I said, who is Robert from the other side? I said, did you have a father or grandfather named Robert on the other side? She's like, you know, in her head, no. And, um, and immediately I think you're lying. You're a liar, right? Because like, he's so insistent, Robert, 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 Robert. So, um, so, you know, I tried Bobby, um, you know, an R like Richard, you know, like anything, anything. Nope, 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 nope. Um, and I said, okay, he was connected to the military. Nope, nothing. Um, and you know, there were a couple of other things and just not acknowledging it. And I kept thinking like, oh, you're killing me lady. You're killing me. Cause I know this guy is giving me this information and it's really specific and it's really detailed. And I know I'm not wrong. So give her the reading. We never figured out Robert move along, um, to the next client whose name is Mark, right? So Mark is first time client of mine as well. I, you know, give him the lowdown. Um, and um, I always ask my clients, um, please say your first and last name out loud and follow that with the date of, of your birth. And the only reason I do that, and I've heard so many lay people kind of interpret what that means, right? Like, oh, you're reading my numerology. No, I'm not. Um, I don't give a fuck. I will forget that as second I write it down. Me. <laughs> I'm sorry? You're Googling me. Yeah, exactly. My... Right. Exactly. Yes. I have, while, while you're on the screen with me, right? Yeah. I have the, the nanoseconds, 10 nanoseconds to Google you and find out all of your personal information, especially all of the details that I'm going to give you in this reading. So bullshit. Anyway, um, so I do that specifically just to paint a target, just to say, okay, I will be reading for the only Sally Smith born December 15th, 1975, right? Um, that's the person that I'm reading to. That's my target. Um, so anyway, so I asked this guy for his first and last name um, and his birthday. And he says, Robert 
blank, right? I'm not going to give his last name. And I'm like, hold, whoa, whoa, hold on. I'm like, hold, hold the phone. I'm like, your name is Mark. And he's like, yeah, that's my nickname. And, and then, right, this guy who's been bugging me, right, forever on the other side is like, Robert, 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 Robert. So <laughs> like, oh my God, I have this guy who's been with me since the last reading. He made me look like an ass in the last reading. And he, he's been saying, Robert, 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 Robert. He's connected to the military. And he goes, that's my dad, whose name was also Robert. That's why I take the nickname Mark. And I'm like, holy fuck balls. Oh my God, we have a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So this guy was so full of really specific and fun and fabulous information. One of the things that I thought was really amazing was he kept showing me a breakfast buffet in the mountains. And I couldn't figure that out. I'm like... I'm like, I don't know what you want me to say, dude, but I'm not gonna say breakfast buffet in the mountains. Like that just sounds stupid. And you know, like I'm having this internal argument with this dead person, right? <clears throat> and so finally, finally I said, okay, Mark, what is the deal with your dad and the mountains and something about breakfast? And he goes, oh my God. He goes, my dad for years would tell me this tall tale of some treasure that he buried in the pancake mountains and i was like oh you know so stuff like that i think is just so fascinating i couldn't make that up yeah. if i tried you know and yeah. i'm pretty imaginative but i could not like breakfast in the mountains connected to like that's not random that is so super specific and um you know, to kind of have validated like that and have him hit right on what I was talking about. Like he knew exactly what his dad was referencing, um, which I thought did was so tell, cool. Did you tell poor Mark where the treasure is or does Robert <laughs> No, he didn't. He didn't offer me the treasure map or anything. Master, you know, he came in and ruined him reading for me and then he withheld the information of where the treasure is, you know, where the treasure is. Um, yeah, I, you know, it sounded to me like it was a tall tale. I don't know that there was actual treasure, treasure buried. Yeah. You know, we're going to have a flood of people now who are like, let's go, you know, calm the tree, the pancake mountains. I don't even know where I didn't, I've never heard of the pancake mountains. I don't even know where they are. Yeah. I'm, you know, um, yeah. Um, weird name for, you know, maybe like, it almost sounds like they're flat mountains. Right. And that's, uh, an oxymoron yeah. so i don't i don't know i don't know um but anyway so those were the two kind of most recent um super interesting readings that i have uh that Excellent. i had so if you're interested in a reading please head to victoriaLaurie.com, click the button that says you know book your psychic session um and it'll take you to my calendar and you can book a session with me um uh so head there okay all right let's get to the whole reason everybody's here they're like victoria shut up let's just hear this um hear this mystery hear this mystery i've i um came up with this as a as the first to launch the <clears throat> podcast um because this was actually a story that when i lived in austin i had heard about and um the details that i heard back then um and you'll hear them i want everybody to brace this is not a pleasant story okay at all at all um, this is like probably even more gruesome than Jack the Ripper. Um, so brace yourselves. But um, I, I, I felt kind of a little bit of a connection to this story because it took place in Austin, Texas. Um, and I, Austin is, still remains one of my absolute favorite cities in the entire world. Um, uh, I lived there for seven years, miss it dearly, miss my friends down there dearly. So um, uh, I don't know that if I had lived 
back then in the 1880s that I necessarily would have thought the same thing. But since then, I still love it. So anyway, all right. So Sandy's going to read the case of the servant girl annihilator. Um, so go for it, Sands. All right. So the servant girl annihilator was America's first recorded serial killer, uh, which uh, had action in Austin, Texas, as Victoria said, between December 1884 and December 1885. The first victim was a young 25-year-old Black woman named Molly Smith, who worked as a cook. Molly was attacked, raped, and murdered, along with her common-law husband, Walter Spencer, who happened to survive the attack. Molly's brutalized body was discovered in the early morning hours of December 30th, 1884, outside her employer's home. She'd been dealt an axe blow to the head and was stabbed multiple times in the legs, arms, and chest. And it was noted that there was so much blood around her that she appeared to be floating in it. Oh. The second, I know, right? The second victim was a young woman named Eliza Shelley, who was also black and worked as a cook. She was discovered in, on May 7th, 1885, with her head split nearly uh, in two from an axe blow. This guy is so victim. brutal. It's so brutal. Yeah. Like so horrible. Like murder well, is bad. Had... This is this is up a level. This is up yeah. a level. Yeah. Intense. Like it's yeah. an intense mutilation. Oh, the third yeah. victim was, was a black servant named Irene Cross. Uh, she was murdered on May 23rd, 1885. Uh, she was stabbed numerous times with a knife and partially scalped. The fourth victim was an 11-year-old black girl named Mary Ramey. This is um, this is the one that gutted me. This is the one that really gutted me. This one because it was yeah, this poor little girl. This like uh. So she was uh, on August 30th dragged out of uh, the house and into a wash house where she was stabbed through the ear with a sharp instrument and then raped at 11 years of age. Her mother Rebecca was also attacked but she survived. The fifth and sixth victims were a young unmarried couple, Gracie Vance and Orange Washington, who in September 1885 were found dead with their heads bludgeoned. And according to the Austin American Statesman, Statesman, excuse me, Gracie was almost beaten to jelly. During that same month, two other women, Lucinda Body and Patsy Gibson, were also attacked, but fortunately, they both survived. The seventh and eighth victims, Susan and were Hancock, unable to identify who would who would attack them. Um, right. I, I know you haven't included that detail, but that was something that when I was doing some research, like, like, why didn't, why was there a description or why, why were there so many different descriptions? Um, he, he brutalized these people. He bludgeoned them so significantly that they had, they, they didn't really have a clear memory of who attacked them. <clears throat> the seventh and eighth victims, Hancock and 17 year old Eula Phillips, who, unlike the annihilators, previous victims were both white. Just before midnight on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1885, Susan was dragged from her eldest daughter's bed through a window and then murdered outside the home with an ax taken from a nearby woodpile. Her head was cleaved in two and a spike had been driven into her brain through her right ear, it indicating that the killer was likely left-handed. Eula Phillips was murdered about an hour after Susan's body was discovered in the early morning hours of Christmas day. Eula's head had also been cleaved by an ax, again, taken from a nearby woodpile. She'd been raped, but the killer had also taken time to pose Eula's body by laying her on her back with her arms outstretched and a large piece of timber across her arms, almost as if she'd been crucified. Susan's husband, Moses Hancock, and Eula's husband, Jimmy Phillips, were both put on trial for the double murders. 
The theory being that they had conspired together to murder several black servant girls as a cover to eventually get away with murdering their wives. Phillips was found guilty and convicted to, to serve seven years in prison, but his conviction was overturned within six months. Hancock's trial resulted in a hung jury. Over 400 black men were arrested, questioned, and eventually cleared of the crimes, yet no one was ever identified as the true killer, and his identity remains a mystery to this day. There are some strong theories about the killer based on circumstantial evidence. A Malaysian cook named Maurice, who worked briefly at the Pearl House Hotel in Austin and supposedly left town for London in January 1886 for four or five weeks after the murders had ended. He was strongly suspected because six out of the eight murders occurred in the immediate neighborhood of the Pearl House. Interestingly, Jack the Ripper began murdering his victims in November of 1888, and there are theories that Maurice could have moved his murder spree from Austin to London. This theory seems to have some traction as Shirley Harrison, the author of Jack the Ripper, The American Connection, claims that the Annihilator and the Ripper were one and the same. Nope. However, instead of... Sorry. Nope. <laughs> Um, yeah, try again. <clears throat> so, so uh, uh, but however, um, Shirley Harrison's theory is that instead of Maurice, she identified a man named James Maybrick, uh, who was a wealthy cotton merchant as the culprit. The reason that Harrison believed Maybrick might be the killer is based upon Maybrick's own journals, which included confessions of killing prostitutes. And on one page in his journal, he had signed the page Jack the Ripper. Also, Maybrick was in Austin on the dates the Annihilator was murdering his victims. But Maybrick died in 1889, probably of poisoning, possibly done by his wife, um, and both murder sprees happened to end coincidentally. There is a third theory that suggests a 19-year-old black man working in downtown Austin as a cook named Nathan Elgin was the annihilator, solely for the reason that he was shot and killed by police in February 1886, after he had dragged a woman out of a saloon where he'd been drinking and was attempting to stab her. After experiencing the terror of having a serial killer in their midst in uh, 1895, so 10 years later, the city of Austin purchased and erected the Austin Moonlight Towers, which were 165 feet tall with a 15 foot foundation and a single tower could cast light in a 1500 foot radius or enough to read a watch by. Which at the time, that technology, kind of astounding, right? Like um, this is how badly this guy terrorized this entire capital city. Um, you know, the, the expense of bringing these towers down um, had to have been, you know, for basically what was, a, even though it's the capital city, well, it was basically a small city, city at the time. I mean, Austin's still only 800,000 people. It's <clears throat> growing exponentially by the minute because it's the coolest place on earth to live. But, um, you know, even back then it was, it was fairly small and you can walk across it in like an hour. It's just, it's not, it's very, very, it's like Denver, it's a condensed kind of city. Um, and to this day, it's still lit up, like it is lit. Um, and I, I think that's such an interesting thing that people probably living in Austin today aren't necessarily aware of the servant girl annihilators, you know, this thing that took place 140 years ago. Um, my math, I don't know, 140 years ago um, <clears throat> or so. Um, but the legacy of that, the effects of that are still seen literally today um, with uh, how well Austin is lit up. Um, 
and you know, it's, it's there's lots of bars down there too. So it's lit. It's lit. It's lit. Um, it's, lit. it's a great place. It's absolutely great. I love, 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 love Austin. Um, okay. So um, thank you, Sans, for, for reading that. I just wanted to note that sources, Sandy and I kind of um, looked to sources for this information to bring to you. We looked at uh, Wikipedia, Mental Floss, the Austin um, Statesman, the Austin American Statement, Statesman, basically the same thing. Um, a book by Skip Hollinsworth, The Midnight Assassin, Panic, Scandal, and the Hunt for America's First Serial Killer, um, and uh, Shirley Harrison's Jack the Ripper, The American Connection um, uh, for our source material. I'm sure there's you know some other stuff in there that um, I picked up kind of on the fly and threw it in there as well. Um, but if you want to read more about it, those are some sources that you can go and kind of look at. So <clears throat> when I was first uh, contemplating the idea for this, it, it was a huge challenge for me because I'm, I'm a future forecaster. I don't tend to look back um, because my whole philosophy is you know where you've been you probably don't know where you're going. You probably, you know, you know your past, you know your history, you don't necessarily know your future. And that's that's why I always look forward. So number one, that's really outside of my wheelhouse to look back. Number two, I had an impression that, I was under the impression that in looking back at something that took place a long time ago, right? Even a couple decades ago, it might be like looking at, um, an old abandoned house, right? And you walk in and the, the wallpaper is, you know, faded and you can't even make out the pattern um, because it's so faded. Like you might be able to detect one or two little small details, but nothing necessarily specifically clear. So when I actually tuned in on this case, I was blown away that that wasn't at all the... Um, impression that I actually had. It was it was absolutely like walking into a house with freshly put up wallpaper. You could see the pattern, you could see the detail. Um, there was so much information um, and time and the fact that all of these people have died, all of these people that were there at the time are long gone, long dead, including the, the murderer. Um, and, and to have it so specific and so detailed was really, really fascinating to me. So as just an experiment, this was fucking cool, okay? Really fucking cool. Um, so when I tuned in, the very first impression that I had was um, kind of of the physicality of this guy. Um, and I, I, I know that there's been some theories kind of tossed around there where it could have been more than one, um, one killer. Um, and I did not feel that at all. Um, I felt it was one. I felt that all of the murders that were have been documented were done by the same individual. I don't think that there was a copycat. I don't think that there were, you know, um, multiple um, murderers out there running around at the time being like, we can get away with it. You know, I don't, I, I didn't get that impression at all. <clears throat> and you can kind of look, if you sort of step back, you can look at this guy's sort of modus operandi and how violent you know, how God damn violent this guy was, right? Um, uh, that these had to have been kind of the same guy. Um, and the, this theory about him being like Jack the Ripper, you know, one and the same, I'm like, you know, Jack the Ripper um, took care to kind of 
dissect his victims in a way. He would peel off their skin. He would um, look at their organs, things of that. Oh yeah, Jack the Ripper. That's why he was called Jack the Ripper, right, Sans? Um, so my sister's making a like, oh, this is disgusting face. Um, <laughs> and it was, right? He was, yeah, I know, yeah. I told you this was gonna be brutal. Um, and, and it just doesn't, it's not the same. It's not the same. This guy was into very hard blows um, about the head um, or multiple stabs, stab wounds or spikes in the head. Like this was a whole other level of violence, right? And I think Jack the Ripper would cut the throat of his victims one more time. Incapacitation through blunt force, basically. Exactly, from what exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the two modus operandi's are so different. I, I cannot see someone crossing the ocean and being like, hmm, I think I'm going to change the way I, I murder, murder people, you know, like that. That's just it just doesn't make sense at all. Um, and going from Texas to London, like, don't you think you'd stop along the way? Right. You know, right, 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 right. And the cotton merchant, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. You know, I'm just I'm really not buying it. He was murdering. He was bragging about murdering pot prostitutes. These were not prostitutes. These were women. They were servants uh, in, in wealthy white homes, um, or they were the owners uh, within these uh, wealthy white homes. So there was no, you know, he wasn't going, and certainly Austin, I'm sure, had prostitutes at the time who would have been easier pickings. So yeah. <clears throat> I don't think, um, I don't think that they were the same at all, at all. So my first impression of the physicality of this guy um, when I tuned in on him and I, I honestly did, hadn't given a lot of thought at that point to what he might have looked like. Right. I just like literally kind of tuned in and went, okay, what was this guy like? And <clears throat> it's kind of obvious now, but like, I felt he was very tall, powerfully built, especially across the shoulders, man who felt neither white or black. Um, he felt mixed race to me. Um, and, um, it was interesting how quickly my intuition kind of went right on him. Um, Cause I expected kind of to search. Um, I know that sounds weird, but like you, you're sort of like, like, will I, will I get an impression of him? Oh, let me search the ether, you know? And it was just like, boom, he was right there, which I found really interesting. Um, and my next impression was of the idea. It's, it's not necessarily that I smelled this. Okay. But, your brain remembers distinct things like smells, right? So I had the idea of the distinct smell of um, of horses. You know how there's that sort of sweet musky scent to them. You know, they eat oats and they eat hay and there's kind of that sort of sweet musky scent that's coming from them. Um, and then I had this idea of like horse hooves, you know, the clopping of horse hooves across, um, across the dirt. Um, and then I, I had a distinct impression of hammering, of the pounding of a hammer on an anvil. And that's when like it went, oh, he's a blacksmith, like boom, right then. Um, and um, that felt just solid to me. Like, of course he's a blacksmith, like duh, right? It makes so much sense when, after I wrote down my impressions, when I kind of stepped back and I'm like, well, yeah, you know, this was a man who was cleaving heads in two. And that takes precision, accuracy, and a whole fuckload of force. So for someone who's wielding a, a hammer all day, um, yeah, that makes sense that he was a, a blacksmith. And then the, um, 
switch. Plus, I'll just bit. say that you're using like a heavy instrument, instrument like an axe, right? Whereas yeah. the river was using something light, like a right. like a knife. Um, right. Completely right. different of of injuring someone. Occupations. I mean, yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, when I look at um, the uh, fifth and sixth victims, Gracie Vance and Orange Washington, right? So they were they were murdered um, a lot and they and two other women were uh, bludgeoned into un unconsciousness. But um, Gracie was, there's a quote that was in the Austin Statement that she was uh, beaten almost to jelly. And I thought, okay, not with an ax, right? she probably was beaten with a blacksmith's hammer, right? Yeah, almost to jelly. That is not fists, that's something else. She was beaten with something like a blacksmith's hammer. Um, and I had, I kind of had the feeling like he was careful about that hammer, um, that he didn't necessarily use it in, in many of these murders because um, it would identify him. Um, so I feel like he had it at, at that time because there were so many people kind of in one closed area, right? So there were four people and he had to overpower all four pretty quickly. And how do you do that? You know, with your bare hands, you're, you're going to grab a hammer. So that was sort of my, my sense for, um, for that particular murder. Um, what I wanted to do also was sort of back up this theory that he was just, you know, outside of the sort of exculpatory, you know, kind of physical evidence. I wanted to kind of look at the plausibility of someone of mixed race who would probably be seen as, as African-American black, um, the plausibility of them having an occupation like blacksmith, because to me, that would be a fairly decent way to make a living. And was this so close after emancipation, was this type of thing even allowed, right? Um, and as it turns out, um, uh, after emancipation, many former rural slaves in Texas moved to more urban areas, especially cities like Austin and San Antonio, which were less oppressive than other parts of the state. Austin was a refuge for many former slaves who'd suffered under their former white owners. And back then the leading occupation for freedmen in Austin was blacksmith. I was stunned. I was like, oh my God, okay. So this actually has a little bit of, of, of life to it, you know, this theory. Um, when I focused specifically on the vibe of the killer, this was another thing that really took me by surprise. Um, there, was, there were seven thing, several things. The first was that obviously he's a powerfully built man. I felt he was in his late twenties or early thirties. Um, I didn't get the impression that he was short or slight, which I felt was noteworthy because um, the two men that were suspected, the cotton merchant and Maurice the cook, right? Malaysian cook. These were slight men. These were not, you know, big, broad, um, tall, powerfully built men. Um, could they have overpowered a woman? Sure. You know, sure. You carry an axe, you cleave them in two. Yes. But uh, when, you, when I was thinking of Susan Hannock, or excuse me, Hancock, who was literally dragged out of bed, out through a window, right? Where she was then brutalized. Um, that takes some significant strength. That is not a, and, and this, this took place over the course of minutes. This was not necessarily something that was like, oh, gee, okay, well, let's pull her off the bed and, you know, five minutes to the window and then, you know, out the window. Like this guy 
grabbed her, picked her up, hauled her out, you know, and then uh, uh, bludgeoned her to death. Um, and so that, and, and, and the whole thing about overcoming so many other people that were in the room in other instances. So this is not a slate man. This wasn't a Malaysian cook, okay? This wasn't a cotton merchant, okay? A wealthy cotton merchant who probably had only picked up a couple coins was the biggest, oh, this is heavy, you know, thing that he would uh, deal with. So this had to have been a powerfully built individual. Um, uh, so I just didn't feel that the other suspects, so to speak, were necessarily capable of that. Um, but I thought, you know, a blacksmith who was wielding a hammer all day with um, precision would definitely be strong enough to do that. And he'd also be able to deliver that precise blow to the head that would have been strong and powerful enough to overpower the husbands of these women um, and the partners of these women, as well as other people in the room. Um, my further impression of him, which was the part where I started to really kind of be like, wow, that's interesting, um, was that as an individual, he was subdued. Uh, quiet, reserved, and that he kept to himself. And this kind of flies in the face of that violence, right? Um, there's an expectation, I think, that we have that someone who commits acts of violence like that is going to be someone we can easily identify, like the raging lunatic, lunatic in the corner, right? Like we want to be able to kind of go amongst our, ourselves, the populace, and be like, oh, that guy looks like he's a big, bad, dangerous, you know, unhinged individual. And I didn't get that impression from this guy at all. Um, I felt, go ahead. For that guy, Nathan Elgin, right? He was, yeah. he was the one that dragged a woman out of a saloon. There's the behavior that we think exactly. is happening. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Kill and it. I think that that contributed significantly to the reason why this guy was never caught. He was a calm, cool, collected, affable, quiet, quote unquote, shy individual. He didn't speak to people. He kept to himself. Um, you know, he did his work. Um, he was probably well thought of. He was not who in 1880, anybody would have said, oh, that guy, you know, that guy's a suspect. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, when they interview the neighbor of like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, he's like, he seemed like such a quiet guy. Yeah, yeah, okay. There's a reason for that. Um, I felt he didn't speak much, um, and I felt he was either, you know, shy or mild-mannered. He wouldn't have raised alarm bells to his due to his obsequious nature. I also felt that he had, and this was the strongest because I kind of had an impression of this man's emotions, okay, or lack thereof. So I felt that he had uh, ASPD, which is antisocial personality disorder. Sociopaths, psychopaths, they're kind of the same thing. Um, and some psychiatrist, psychologist out there is gonna be like, they're not. I'm gonna be like, okay, dude, I'm not, you know, I'm not schooled in that, but you know, for my research, they're kind of the same. Um, I felt he almost completely lacked the ability to feel any kind of emotion, like at all. To my intuitive mind, there was a nothingness to him, a total inability to feel love or hate or anything in between, except for the singular emotion of something akin to satisfaction. That's it. And it was this feeling that he chased, um, he chased after while committing these horrific murders. So I think the fact that I truly believe this guy started out on, on sheep, which is where the whole spike thing comes in. And I'll explain that in a minute and brace yourselves. It's not, it's not pretty. But it felt like he started in on, on animals and that when he would commit these horrific acts, um, on animals, he felt a sense of like satisfying 
something that was satisfying to him. And that was an emotion. So when you go your whole life and you don't feel anything, nothing, no love, no hate, no anger, nothing. Um, and yet there's this tickle of something that creeps in um, that can be intoxicating, that can be addictive, that can be the thing that you wanna keep chasing. And that's, that's what I feel happened to him. Um, also felt like he was a, a, a he, he took great pleasure in being the voyeur and stalking these women. And I feel that he took great pains to do that over a period of time. Um, and one of the things that I read in the Statesman about, um, about that time and about the, the murder scenes was that no one reported a dog barking. Um, and dogs were prolific. They were in the, in the backyards, you know, next to the wood pile, next to the ax that he used to murder these poor, poor women, men and women. Um, and none of the dogs barked. So this guy who's around animals all day, he's around horses. And um, I felt that he came from a, a large farming family. Um, he would have known his, his way around animals. And because he was so calm, because there was no emotion coming from him, I don't feel dogs picked up on that, right? I don't feel the dogs picked up on him as a threat. And um, for sure, I'm sure he probably brought treats for them and, and you know, got to know them so that when he approached, of course, they're not going to bark. Of course, they're going to be like, oh, look, here's the guy that's going to give me treats who doesn't feel angry or upset or afraid or, you know, there's nothing coming from him that would alert a dog to danger. Um, and so I felt like that was why none of the dogs barked as a warning. Um, and I also felt like um, the hardest one for me that he murdered was Mary Ramsey. She was 11 years old. Um, and he really, really, Sandy didn't go into it, but he really, really, really brutalized her. Like it was, it was just horrible what he did to her um, because he had her for a period of time in the, in the watershed. Um, and um, that to me represented a, represented a little bit of a turning point in his mind. He liked younger girls. Um, he wanted to go after the younger ones. So Susan Hancock, who was the first white woman that he killed, was the mother of a, a young daughter, um, two young daughters actually, who had gone to a Christmas party. This took place on Christmas Eve. She was murdered along with Eula Phillips, were both murdered on the same evening, um, or one before midnight, one slightly after midnight, um, and it was Christmas Eve. So um, he was expecting to find Susan's younger daughter, well, oldest daughter, like younger girl in the bed. And when he took her out and he murdered her, it wasn't, wasn't the daughter. And I think that's why he went across town and went after 17-year-old Eula Phillips um, was because he, he had developed an affinity for the younger, uh, the younger, uh, the younger women. Um, you know, well, this guy was horrible. Anyway, um, so I felt he took uh, his time in plotting and planning and stalking, really stalking these victims, which also presented another interesting kind of confirmation for me. Now, you know, like truly, who knows if I'm right? Right? We'll never know. We'll never know. I, I don't know. Um, this is just my impressions, but they were specific. And um, I found kind of evidence to make, to see how logical they would sort of be. Um, so I'm sticking with it. Um, but the other point that I wanted to make uh, with regard to um, 
uh, how he would stalk these victims, et cetera, um, was that he was able to go into white neighborhoods um, and attack the servants who were living um, on these white, you know, well-to-do properties, right? Um, so I felt strongly that um, because there were there were some eyewitnesses that said he was black, some eyewitnesses that said he was white, and that made um, sense to me that my first impression that he was of mixed race um, and could probably pass for white, um, but was lived in a in a black household. Um, that made sense to me because he could go into these white neighborhoods as, as someone who wasn't suspicious, um, looking kind of almost like a, a relative stranger amongst these homes. Um, but, but because he could also pass for white, I felt like he did. I felt like he did. I felt like he, he passed for a white man. Um, so the mixed race thing I, I felt uh, was like another check, check, check plus. Um, the spikes, oh, the spikes. He used these spikes, I think in five of the murders, he actually used these spikes in five murders, drove them into the sides of his victim's heads. And this again was the connection back to the sheep. Um, I had this distinct impression that the spikes were developed as a way to send victims, the sheep, whatever, into convulsions, right? Not necessarily kill them, but send them into convulsions so that as he was raping them, he could get a level of satisfaction. Um, and so that I felt was uh, something that he had translated from his time of, you know, basically murdering sheep um, to get a, you know, to get jacked off um, and uh, translating that onto um, the woman that he, he, the women that he murdered. But I felt very strongly since I couldn't find anything that suggested that anybody found one of the spikes at the scene. Everybody, um, uh, there's, there's mention, right? That they're, uh, they were pierced through the ear with something sharp and long, right? A spike of some kind, but there was no evidence that I could find that one of these spikes was found. And that to me was also key because I felt that this guy actually made those specifically for that purpose and who would make them but a blacksmith, right? They're metal spikes. Blacksmith is going to make these. So um, when I was tuning in on the spikes specifically, um, I felt that he made these and I felt he also hid these in the wall of a well. So I got the impression of a well and I felt like in my mind's eye, I saw like a brick taken out in the wall of the well and, you know, a, a a, a bundle of spikes wrapped in cloth and put into the well. Um, and when I tried to follow what happened to this guy, why did he stop murdering after December of 1885, right? December 25th of 25th, yeah, December 25th of 1885. Um, there's, of course, the theories he left town, he went to brutalize other towns or murder other women in other places. Um, or, you know, he fled to Europe and became Jack the Ripper. I mean, it's kind of like, it goes against common sense to think that he just stopped, but I don't think he left town. I think he stayed in town. I think he was deeply rooted with a family and I felt a large family within that Austin community 
Um, he had a he had a damn good job as a blacksmith. He was one of only fifteen others, sixteen others, excuse me, um, fifteen others, sixteen. He was the sixteenth at the time who were blacksmiths according to the eighteen eighty census. Um, and uh, why would he leave that? Right, especially when leaving town abruptly would probably cast him in the light of suspicion. What I felt instead was that um, his older brother, I had this impression that an older brother, an older sibling actually discovered the spikes and um, just, and understood in that moment, oh my God, it's my brother. My brother did this, right? And Sandy, did you mention the 400 black men that were rounded up? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So like, you know, they were rounding up, right? All the suspicious characters, they rounded up. 400 black men and they um, interrogated them and they probably brutalized them too during these interrogations. And I had the sense that probably one of his family members was picked up um, and questioned. But I don't think this guy was because again, he's this quiet, shy, affable, he's known to be mild mannered, right? So he has this reputation of um, someone who you would think would never commit a murder like this, right? Go on a murder spree like this, you know, this so violent. And I felt that that older brother um, in discovering that his younger brother was doing this was instrumental in confronting him and basically saying, listen, you have murdered two white women now, right? If they catch you, they will lynch us all. You can't, you can never do this again, ever, ever, ever. If you get caught, we're all done. And I, I felt very strongly that the family then kept very close reign on this guy, wouldn't let him out of their sight. Now, I wanted to kind of follow that to sort of the end end. And the end end for me was, okay, when did this guy die, right? Like you're telling me that for the rest of his life, he never committed another violent act that just didn't, I don't know that that jived for me. What I felt very strongly was that when I was moving forward along this man's lifetime, along his timeline, there was a sense that he started to develop uh, what felt like fire in the bottom of his lungs. So for me, fire in the bottom of your lungs translates to cancer. It's just kind of one of the symbols that I have for lung cancer, right? And that kind of made sense. I'm like, okay, he's a blacksmith, right? And he's breathing in the blacksmithy fumes, you know? But when I did a little bit of research, um, what I found was that um, coincidentally, right around this time, um, uh, the mining and manufacturing of asbestos really took off in the late 1800s, and the compound was often used as an insulator in the forges of blacksmiths used to heat their iron and steel. So that, you know, he's breathing in not just the fumes, right, the carcinogenic fumes, but he's also breathing in um, asbestos. Uh, and I felt that this guy probably died in his uh, late 30s. I felt like he was like in the neighborhood of, you know, between 36 and 39 kind of, um, like I specifically thought of 38. I felt like he died when he was about 38 years old. So all of that kind of fit in my mind. And again, you know, who knows if I'm right? Who knows, but it was, I thought it was a really interesting exercise just from the perspective of, there was a lot of information that yeah. came and I was able to kind of vet a little bit, you know, and go, is that plausible? you know, could he have been a blacksmith, you know, could he have died of cancer, could he, you know, like, 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 could this actually, could these impressions actually have validity, and my sense was they absolutely could have, so that's my vibe, my vibe, and I'm sticking to it, I'm sticking to it, yeah. so I loved it, I loved the whole exercise, I thought it was really cool, so be anxious you, to do the next one, go did ahead. Did you end up 
channeling him from like a medium perspective or you're just picking up on the energy around I him? don't yeah no it wasn't like he came forward and was like hi my name is Ray um it was more like uh it's kind of a, a halfway kind of thing right there's a feeling of my own um clairvoyance kind of working overdrive right and also like the impression or the stamp that he kind of left on the atmosphere that I was able to kind of come in and touch. I don't, I don't feel like I like touched his soul, you know, like we communicated um, because first of all, like who would want to ick, right? Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> Check please. Um, so I don't know that I necessarily would have been open to that. Um, or if it had happened, I probably would have back, backed way out of it and been like, Sans, I'm never doing this. This is not happening, right? Like, I, I don't want any part of that shit. Um, so it was almost like kind of a, a 3D immersion into the stamp on the atmosphere that he left, okay? Almost like, you know, when you're doing um, video games, you know, with the 3D thing, right? And you can go in and you are like, I am player one, you know, or whatever, right? Like almost like that, you get immersed in the atmosphere and okay. it's kind of like you're seeing the world through his perspective, but not necessarily in his actual soul's energy. Um, that's, that, that was sort of my, you know, kind of impression of the whole thing. Um, so- it's amazing. It's been 140 years and you had yeah. such clarity around. Yeah. Like the energy is still there, I guess, to be picked yeah. up on. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, it kind of like that lens treated, you know, that lends the, the question, right? Like, is that going to be the same for every case that we look at? Right. Is it, it, and what makes that so specifically clear? Is it the, the violence and the emotion associated with all of that or if you go looking for that shit, if you go looking for even something mundane, you know, can you find the stamp of it on that atmosphere and be able to kind of pull details about it? Um, and that'll be kind of an interesting question that um, I'm kind of excited to sort of explore and see what the result is. Like, like yeah. that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so let's get to, um, I know that we've been doing like, um, I posted to the Facebook, you know, fans of Victoria Laurie Facebook fan page. Um, you know, if you could ask a psychic, um, if you were interviewing a psychic and you could ask that psychic some questions, what would you ask? Um, so, you know, if you're curious about the life of a psychic, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's still, you know, like I've been this in this profession for 21 years and it's still kind of like, Oh fuck, I'm a psychic? Like, oh, that's weird. It's just weird. It's weird. Anyway, go ahead. What questions, so, what questions did you pull? Uh so this one is from Christina Molnara, Molnar. And she said, uh, she asked, has it ever caused trouble for you to know things that you shouldn't know about someone or something? Oh no, never. Oh, never. Mm -mm. No, that has never, that has never complicated any of my interpersonal relationships ever. <laughs> God, fuck yeah maybe i'm fishing here but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you know like like i think there's an impression that um we go around and we're just like picking up all sorts of information constantly you know like we're um a radio and we're just picking up you know different frequencies all the time and that is so not it's, for me i can't speak for you know 
anybody else, but for myself and for most of the other intuitives that um, uh, are legit intuitives, legit professional intuitives that I know, that is not the case. We're not going in the grocery store overcome, okay? <gasps> okay, by, you know, anybody passing us, you know, kind of thing. I don't, I don't like crowds because I'm not a big people person. I don't really, I'm not a big fan of people. Um, I'm an introvert, you know, I like my quiet, I like my solitude, but I'm not an open, you know, radar kind of, you know, what's this person do? What's this? However, um, there are times, you know, when um, I've been dating someone and um, they flat out lie to me and I know they're flat out lying to me and you have two choices, right? You can be like, you're full of shit. You know, I need the truth. Or you can be like, okay, I know he's lying. Um, I'll just let him have that, right? And it sort of depends, right? Like I, I don't, I've never necessarily been cheated on, knock on wood. Um, but there are times when I know someone has lied to me in a way that's not necessarily um, about me, right? It's not necessarily to hide something terrible. Um, and then there are times when someone has flat out lied to me and they're hiding a drinking problem, you know, um, or trying to, please, please please. Okay. You don't even have to be psychic to know when someone's got a drinking problem, but anyway, so yeah, it can sometimes really cause havoc, but where I find that it, that it's super hard is when, um, someone that I love is faced with a difficult issue and I will give them advice, not necessarily saying, here's my intuitive advice, but I will give the advice and they don't take it. And I'm stuck, right? Because I can't say, well, this is my intuition saying this because then you've created a monster and before they make any kind of decision about anything ever, they will be like, what, you know, what are you feeling? And I've certainly, I've certainly had a few of those. Um, and to allow people to kind of make that mistake, right? Just like ignore my advice and go ahead and make that mistake. That is hard. That is really hard. So it, it can kind of, you know, wreck a little bit of havoc more in my own mind than necessarily with them. So, so here's my pain point with respect to you knowing things that oh, you please, please tell your pain point about being related to me. Yes, please. I, I will <clears throat> trying to get you a gift <laughs> for a holiday or a birthday mm. or a special occasion is virtually impossible because I don't, I don't look at if you want to know you. Yeah, always. And it'd be so yeah. frustrating. Oh, did yeah. you get me a treat? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't even ordered oh, I yet. remember that too. And you jumped through so many hoops to get that for me. Oh, you poor love. Yeah. And I was like, boom, that's it. Um, yeah. I don't look anymore. Like Sandy will say, I bought your Christmas present. And then she'll be like, don't look, don't look, don't look. Um, so I have to like, I have to like consciously, like even right now, just because we're talking about it, and Christmas is next month. I'm like trying to back up. I'm really trying to back up. I kind of you almost do. think I have a little bit of an inkling, but I have, I'm trying to back Stop up. Stop it right now. I'm you don't. Try, Sandy, I am trying. It's not like, you know, you can pull the Let's shade up and be like, I don't see anything and then pull the shade down again, please. Let's please. change this up. I'll just, I'll pretend I'm surprised. I'll just be okay. like, oh, you didn't. You're amazing. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Blah, blah, blah. So another question. Um, two women had a similar question. So I'm going to group them together. 
Okay. Uh, Amy, Black Amy Blackthorne wants to know, how do you differentiate between guys? If you don't want to book a reading with me, reading with me, look up Amy Blackthorne. Um, she is fucking amazing. She's awesome. Amy, hi props. Sorry. Go ahead. Amy wants to know, how do you differentiate between the voices of your crew from the doubts we all have as people? And Amy McKnight wants to know, how can you tell what is intuition and what is imagination or wishful thinking? Um, there are times that it's really, really difficult, um, really to differentiate those two. Um, and I think for me, in the beginning, uh, when I was first trying to work on my own intuition, it was impossible to tell. The only way I could um, actually tell was when um, it was confirmed. The information actually ended up happening. Something ended up happening. Um, and even today, like you and I have had conversations very recently about um, certain matches uh, for me that I've been like, I don't know if this is wishful thinking or if this is my intuition talking. And what's been so amazing was that it's actually been my intuition, even when I was convinced it was not. And I cried on the phone to you being like, this is never gonna happen. And then, you know, just be patient, Victoria. Um, anyway, um, so sometimes it can be really, really, really difficult to tell, especially the more emotion you have tied to whatever that thing is. If it's something that I don't have my own emotion tied into, or if it's not about me, it's really easy for me to, to tell. And that I can't tell you why specifically, because it just feels different. It feels like, um, it almost feels like a truth that I already know, right? Mm -hmm. It's like someone has already told me the answer um, and we just have to wait for the big reveal. Um, so the more that my emotion is kind of wrapped up into it, the harder it is for me to tell. And that can be super frustrating um, for sure. Um, but the less my emotion is kind of tied into it, like for stuff like you, for like business stuff for you, um, of course I love you and I want the best for you and I want like good stuff to happen to you, but I can, I can check myself and be in sort of more business mode, psychic business mode um, and be like, okay, you know, she really needs the truth. Um, she doesn't need a lot of, you know, false encouragement here. So um, from that, I'm not false encouraging you. She gives, she gives me this look like, have you been false encouraging me this whole time? No, fuck. I knew that was going to open up a can. <laughs> Can of worms. Good. Um, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> well, yeah, later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Or do I have stuff to tell you later? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's the, there's the ability to differentiate those two things. But when, you know, again, when emotions all wrapped up into it, it can be really hard. It can be really hard. And you just sometimes have to wait and see. It's the only way. So to wrap up, um, are there any ways for the intuitively curious to strengthen yeah. their own intuitive abilities or connect to a deceased loved one? Um, okay, so I will tell you how I started strengthening my own intuition. I started testing myself kind of on the reg. So what I would do is I would, on a Sunday, I would write down like five things that I thought I was going to, to read in the news um, over the course of the next week. Um, and I'll never forget, I, I had read, um, not read, excuse me, I had picked up on something that had to do with a very large building that didn't have much in it, 
um, and I got the sense of fire. Um, and then I also picked up for that same re week, uh, a small plane crash. <clears throat> and I thought these were completely separate incidents. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, well, these are, these would make the news. Um, let's see what happens. And what ended up happening was a small plane um, crashed into a warehouse and caused uh, an abandoned warehouse and caused a big blaze. Um, so that for me was like, okay, all right, there's something to this. So I think that just as an exercise, because intuition isn't something that you can meditate on and magically have, right? Like I don't meditate. Um, I know a lot of people who do, but it's, I'm bored. I'd much rather go for a run or lift weights or do something, you know, active than meditate. God, I can't think of anything more boring for me. Um, if you like meditating, I'm not dissing on it. I'm just saying for me, it's just not my gig. So to strengthen my own intuition, I um, worked it like a muscle. And I found that the more you work your um, own intuition, the more you test it, the more you push it, the more you um, try and predict things, the better you will get at it. Um, and that's risky, right? Especially when you're trying to pick up something on someone else, um, yeah. because you have to kind of say, I'm getting a feeling that you know, tomorrow you'll have a flat tire right? People will look at you like you've grown three heads. Trust me, I've been in this 21 years and I'm still like, yeah, so I'm a writer and a psychic, uh, you know, like it's still, it's still hard for me to, you know, put that out there um, because nobody wants to look, be looked at like they're crazy, right? Like they're, you know, not so. Um, and, you know, Hollywood has done its thing with uh, the professional psychics, right? The, the bangle wearing headscarf gypsy, you know, coming out of a trailer park. Uh, thing or fainting, you know, like, I'm getting a depression, <gasps> you know, uh, that all that bullshit. Um, so uh, I think that just trying to come up with a few things that you will be reading in a new cycle, um, and it can be vague, um, or it can be specific, whatever you're feeling, just jot it down, and then keep track of the new cycles and see what comes up. And I swear to God, you probably will surprise yourself. Um, as far as connecting to someone on the other side, um, I love giving this uh, little exercise. And, and the exercise is ask for a sign, okay? Not not just show me a sign, right? And you're driving by a stop sign and you're like, is that the sign? And then you drive by a yield sign, is that the sign? You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something very, very, very specific that might've been unique to that person um, that you would not see every day. So um, a very dear friend of mine, Stephen, um, Dr. Stephen Papp, who I still love and miss um, a lot. Um, he was the inspiration for a character in one of my books. Um, and he died of ALS, uh, God, about a decade ago, I think, almost a decade ago. Um, just a, a phenomenal human being. Um, and uh, so he passed away. He was originally from Argentina. And shortly after he passed away, I, I, want, I just wanted to know that he was okay. And so I said, okay, Steve, show me, Stephen, show me an Argentinian flag. And I expected like, you know, maybe I would see it on the back of a bumper sticker, you know, like a, or for a soccer team or something like that, right? <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, a, a couple of days go by, I haven't seen this Argentinian flag. I'm kind of looking everywhere, you know, kind of cheating a little bit. Haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it. Um, about four days after I asked, I'm sitting on the couch, the news is on, and the big news of the day is 
um, uh, we have picked the new Pope, right? The new Pope has been picked. Pope Francis has been picked. And, um, you know, the white smoke is coming out of the, I don't know, wherever they're, they're kept, right? When they're voting, right? And they, the white smoke comes out, they've picked a Pope, it's Pope Francis. And I'm just kind of like, you know, dully eyeing the screen. And they show Pope Francis on a huge stage and behind him is the most e enormous Argentinian flag because he's from Argentina. Argentinian flag I've ever seen. It's probably 60 feet tall, you know, and hundred feet wide. And um, uh, I'm like, oh my God, Stephen picked the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's what I mean. Like pick something super specific. Um, another like favorite little uh, anecdote that I have about that specific exercise is a dear friend of mine, who's also a regular client of mine, um, uh, his mother passed away, he was really missing his mom. And he said to me, Victoria, I just don't feel her around me. He said, you know, my husband feels her around me, but I don't feel her around me. And he was kind of devastated, you know, like, why would my mom go to my husband and not come to me, right? Because um, they were super, super close. And I said, okay, so Kevin, here's the deal. Sometimes when you are so deep in your sadness, it's very difficult for someone on the other side to kind of reach you where you can feel, right? Because you're just like, oh, okay, you're just sunk so low. And their their touch is light. And if you're if you're feeling so much sadness, you're not necessarily going to feel that light touch. I said, so you gotta pick a symbol. And he's like, Well, you know, like what? And off the top of my head, I said, flamingos, just think of flamingos. Your mom lived in Florida, you live in Boston flamingos you're not going to see flamingos you know kind of generally anywhere around boston so if you see one you will know it's from your mom so um i'm emailing him right because i start seeing flamingos freaking everywhere i'm in michigan and i start seeing flamingos everywhere you know like i'm driving by a gas station and there's like a flamingo is their logo right in the uh, you know come in and get a cup of coffee or whatever and there's a flamingo and i'm like wow that's crazy um and so i just kind of started seeing oh and then someone actually sent me a mug that had a flamingo on it like it was crazy right so i'm i'm emailing him and i'm like dude i'm seeing email i'm seeing flamingos anywhere i'm like how about you and he's like nothing you know like he's like crushed again so um i read for him late october Thanksgiving day, he is sitting in his living room in Boston and he's watching the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade because uh, that was something he and his mom always did. And his husband is cooking, you know, Thanksgiving dinner in the kitchen and he's really missing his mother. And he said, all of a sudden across the bottom of the screen walked a cartoon flamingo, right? Carrying a banner that said, happy Thanksgiving. And he'd like sat up and was like, mom, so, you know, and now he sees flamingos kind of everywhere, right? You could say, oh, well, he was, you know, now he's like looking for them. Well, sure he's fucking looking for them. You know, like that's a sign from his mom. Of course he's fucking looking at them. But the fact that he sees them now all over the place, go look for flamingos, see how many you see. I mean, he was looking for them for the first four weeks after, uh, three, three weeks after his reading with me everywhere and couldn't find one. Right. And then now all of a sudden, since that door has been open, he sees them all the time, kind of all over the place. So if you are really missing someone and you are kind of sad and can't feel their energy around you, ask for a sign. doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Just something specific. Okay. Something kind of unique and specific and see what happens or a couple things. Ask for a couple things. Um, so Okay. All right. Well, this was fun. I had so much fun. Yay. All right. We'll do this again.
I love you. I love you. Oh. I love you. Okay. Um, and again, again, if you're interested in um, future, we're going to try and do this once a week. Um, and uh, if you're interested in future podcasts and want a link, um, you can either find me on, you know, wherever I'm going to post this, which is Spotify, Apple, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if you would like to leave uh, a, a review or comment or whatever on there, please do. Helps the algorithm. <clears throat> um, and uh, you can find, you know, more information on pempodcast.com or on uh, victorialaurie.com. Okay. So, Sandy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Um, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to Zoom hopefully on Thanksgiving Day. And um, yes, and I uh, get to visit with my nephews and with you and all that stuff. And have a wonderful night. Okay. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye.